Hey, Sam, what are you doing? Hey, Garrett, how's it going? I'm putting up my Christmas tree. In the middle of August, it is never too early to put up Christmas decorations, or to sing Christmas carols, or to sing Christmas cards, or to go Christmas okay, shopping. Okay, 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 I get it. It's still summer, though. Christmas is four more months away. Christmas is all year, Gary. Okay. Besides, the church is getting ready to start auditions for the Christmas play. So that just proves that it's not too early to put up Christmas decorations. Christmas auditions? Christmas play? What, do they need actors and stagehands and things like that? Exactly. And they're going to need visuals, musicians, tech, beatboxers. Hold <laughs> up! You said beatboxers! Oh, yeah. They need beatboxers for the Christmas play? What are they doing? Christmas in Hollis? Beatboxing in the Christmas party. Oh, come on. What? Why? No, we need everything else you guys were talking about. We need singers, we need um, visuals and musicians, but no beatboxing. That's why we're having auditions. Oh, hold up! Sam, did you hear that? Auditions? He's saying there's a chance. Yeah, baby! <laughs> If you're interested in being a part of this year's Christmas play, please text the word PLAY to 910-424-1298 to get signed up. Please sign up. Alright, well good morning church. How are you today? Again, if you, if you can sing, if you can play an instrument, if you can act, or if you just like to be behind the scenes, we do encourage you to uh, text the word um, play to 910-424-1298 and we'll get you uh, signed up for the auditions. Um, no beatboxing, I'm sorry. Sorry, Gary. But everything else, we'll, we'll, try to, we'll try to work you in. But for today, as we move on into, as we turn our hearts to sing and worship, I want to acknowledge that obviously today is a, a, a terrible memory in our nation's history with September 11th. Right? And we look at it and we remember and we stand and we honor those that lost their lives and the heroes that have have before and after given their very lives to protect this great nation and I don't need to remind you guys of how how evil and wicked and crazy this world is so I won't but I will point you to the preeminence of Christ I love in Colossians Paul says he Meaning Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him all things hold together. Paul goes on to say, and he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. 
For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And he goes on, And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. So we have a reason to sing, and his name is Jesus. So no matter where you find yourself in your life right now today, church, if you are a saint, if you have confessed and placed your hope in Christ and in Christ alone, you have a reason to raise a hallelujah as we'll sing and we celebrate together. So stand with me, let's pray, and we're going to sing. God, I thank you that these things are true. I thank you that as the world falls apart, we don't celebrate that, but we have a joy that is everlasting and never changing. So give us the spiritual insight of the strength. Give us the Holy Spirit to speak these words to a, a lost and a dying world. Let our lives, let our voices, let our prayers simply point them to you. Let all things be that we lift up the name of Christ, that you might be glorified in our presence. Lead us in a worship that pleases you today. In Christ's name, amen. I raise a hallelujah in the presence of my enemies. I raise a hallelujah louder than the unbelief. Let's sing and celebrate together. I raise a
salvation, my steadfast hope that won't be shaken. My soul will wait, my soul will wait for you.
My name is Steve Aldi. I am the discipleship, adult discipleship pastor here at Southview Baptist Church. Also, still the um, children's pastor, since we're still looking for a person to take that position. We welcome you this morning. We're glad that you're here. And obviously, we're here to give praise and worship and honor to the one who created us and those that believe and have recreated us in Christ Jesus our Lord. I know that each and every one of us struggles in our faith, don't we? Each and every one of us is fighting a fight of faith. Faith is seeing what the physical eye cannot see, and there lies the problem. Because we can be so enamored by the things of this world that we can see, that we forget about the things that we cannot see. And we have the Word of God that is as a window through which we can see the unseen. But how many of you know that even when we read the Word of God, sometimes we don't quite get it? How many of you know what I'm talking about? This is why not only do we have objective truths written in the Word of God, but even the Apostle Paul would pray that what he just spoke about, we would have true knowledge of it. For example, I want to read a prayer, and then we're going to, we are going to pray together. In Colossians chapter 1, starting at verse 9, the Apostle Paul prays, first he says, for this reason also, and the reason is, since he heard that the, the believers in Colossians had come to faith in Christ and their love was abounding in Christ, he says, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So on the one hand, even in this letter, he talks about knowledge of God, who he is and what he has done for us. But he also prays that we have true knowledge of him, experiential knowledge, knowledge that grips our hearts, and for what reason does he pray that? He says, so that, which is an important phrase in the Bible, so that in order that you may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects. How many want to live in a manner worthy of God? Prayer is essential. Reading the word of God is essential. Therefore, we know what to pray for. He says, to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. There is God's ultimate purpose, that we would increase and know him, love him. What is the great command? That we love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength and love our neighbor as ourself. And there, if you're like me, therein lies the war, doesn't it? 
So let's all lift our hearts to God as we pray that God would open our eyes, that we might see him more clearly, that we would truly love him more dearly, and that we would serve him in all sincerity. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we can come with confidence and boldness before the throne of grace in time of need, and we are a needy people. We long to see you and behold you, to know your glory, and to be transformed by beholding you. So I pray, Father, as your word is preached, as your word is proclaimed, that you would give us spiritual wisdom and understanding and the knowledge of yourself, that we might fulfill that which you have purposed. And we thank you for it, in Jesus' name. And all believers said, amen. And I'm getting my water down here. Well, as Pastor Scott said, we don't need to tell you of all the things that are happening in the world. Most of you know what's going on, don't you? And if there's one thing that the world does not have, it is peace. There is wars going on and rumors of wars, threats of war, rising conflicts that cause anxiety, anguish. There's a lot of tribulation going on in the world. But it isn't just worldwide. There is tribulation going in each and every one of our hearts. And pr quite frankly, that is the cause of the world crisis that we see. It is individuals' lack of peace that we are thus prompted to seek for peace. Another thing that's quite missing in the world, especially when there's the tribulation that we see and we experience, is happiness and joy. Each and every one of us longs to be happy. And each of, and every one of us longs to know peace within. And each and every one of us also have had strategies from childhood to um, grasp and know that peace and joy and to maintain it, either offensive or defensive. On the defensive side, we want to protect ourselves from um, disappointment, frustration, uh, people coming against us, criticizing us, and on the positive side, we want, we have an offensive, uh, we have an offensive purpose and strategy in order to make our lives complete and happy, filled with joy and peace. The problem being is that we try to do this and attempt this without the knowledge of God. The Bible tells us that all of us have suppressed the truth and unrighteousness. All of us have gone astray, forgetting about God and not wanting to know God at all. And even those of us that are born again, and I'm sure you'll all agree with me, even us that are born again, after reading our Bibles, we go off into life and 
things happen to us and we completely forget about the God that has saved us, that is our rock, that is our comfort. And we tend towards anxiety, strife. How many of you are married or were married or have someone close to you? Probably all of us. And that one, that person that is close to you, your spouse or whatever, has come to you with and criticized you. And you know that that person that has criticized you has said something that's true, but you defend yourself anyway. How many of you have done that? You justify yourself. Oh yeah, but uh, I don't do it all the time. You got wrong there, right? Why do we do that? Why do we justify ourselves? The Apostle Paul is going to answer that question as well as the question of peace and the question of joy in Romans, in the letter of Romans, where he opens up the window that we might see beyond this life and go cross-grain, actually, to the course of this world to see things the way they really are. And that's, I want to um, bring your attention to the book of Romans, chapter 5. And we're going to start with 1 through 3. Paul writes, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we exult in hope of the glory of God. The next verse after that, it's not on the screen, but it says, and not only this, but we also exult in our tribulation. Now that's an amazing thing. We exult in the hope of the glory of God and also in our tribulation. And hopefully at the end of this message, we'll understand why we can even exult in our tribulation. The first thing that I want to point out is the word therefore. You've probably all heard of the, the adage, what is the therefore, therefore? Well, it's pointing back to what Paul has written in the first four chapters. He has, he has pointed out that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. In chapter 1, he talks about the Gentiles are in a hopeless, helpless situation. Chapter 2, he talks about Jew also are in a hopeless, helpless situation. And then halfway through chapter 3, he also talks about all being under sin and deserving nothing but the wrath of God. Then halfway through chapter 3, he brings a solution, how we can be justified before God by faith. He shares that God's way of salvation is not through what we do. It's not behavioral modification. It is not our attempts to fulfill a moral law. 
but it's by grace through faith in Christ alone for God's glory alone. And then in chapter 4, he gives the example of Abraham having faith and God counted it to him or imputed it to him as righteousness. Then he comes to chapter 5 where he says, therefore, having been justified by faith. Next two phrases I want to point out are the words, the, the second and third word, having been, having been justified, and the words, we have, having been justified, we have some things. Justification brings results. Justification in this, this uh, verse here is past tense, having been we were justified, and present tense, because of that justification, we have certain things. Now, he didn't say, you need to hope you're justified. He didn't say you need to struggle to be justified. He said, having been justified. There isn't a assurance in that statement, isn't there? So we can conclude that justification is a channel, it's a way through which certain blessings and results happen. And this justification is a work of God and not based on our works at all. And also, another point to make is that justification, which brings forgiveness of sins, that is not the end goal that God has for us that believe. It is a means to the goal. There is something greater than forgiveness. There is something greater than justification, as great and as precious as that is. There is something far more important than being forgiven. If we stop at forgiveness, we've missed out totally on the gospel. What is the gospel? It is not forgiveness. It's the result of forgiveness. If you were to buy a car, do you buy a car just to have it sit in the driveway? No, having bought a car, we have means to drive to the store means to go to work so I can make money to buy food. It is a means of transportation. A car is not an end in itself, just as justification is not an end in itself. So what is justification? A quick definition is it's God's legal, note the word legal, it's God's legal declaration that we are no longer considered guilty and under his divine law, but are forgiven and counted righteous in his sight. Justification is a pronunciation. It's a declaration that you are righteous because of the righteousness of Christ and his righteousness alone. 
So it has nothing to do with what we can do, have done, or will do. It has everything to do with what Christ has done. This is why it's called good news. We don't read news to find out what to do. We read news to find out what has been done. This sets us free. So we're declared not guilty, and we are declared not guilty by faith. So there's two aspects of justification. One is the removal of sin and guilt because Christ bore that on the cross. And two, it is an imputation of his righteousness. Just being forgiven of sin is not enough. To be right with God, we need His righteousness. He is holy, and we need His holiness. How many of you have been able to attain that holiness on your own? How many of you have been able to attain a love for Christ that is due His holy name? None of us. We all fall short. Christ has purchased by His life, His death, resurrection, righteousness for us, complete, entire forgiveness of sin and guilt. So what does this accomplish, this justification? In this text, there's three things that he mentions. One, peace with God. Two, access and assurance in our standing in this grace. And three, joy in the glory of God. And I want to deal with those three, three um, in the remainder of our time together. The Bible says that therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice it doesn't say peace of God, but says peace with God. It's not a state of serenity, contentment, satisfaction, or quiet that Paul is talking about here. He's talking about having peace with him. So there's something about justification that is needed in order for us to have peace with him. So what is that something that we need? Well, we need to talk about the problem that we all face. The situation is that we were all enemies of God, deserving nothing but the wrath of God. In Romans 5, a little later in Romans 5, verse 6 and 8 and 10, and I'm just reading parts of this, it says, for while we were helpless, the English Standard Version says, while we were weak, pointing towards moral weakness, and in our moral weakness, obviously, we were helpless, helpless to know God, to live up to his standard. While we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Then later he says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Then in verse 10, he says, For if while we were enemies, 
This short passage says that we were helpless, that we were ungodly, that we are sinners and enemies of God. This is why later, uh, I think it was Peter said, it's a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of God. And sin has, the filter of sin has reduced our understanding of who God is and an awareness that we live before him and that we were created for his glory and we have gone totally against it and deserve nothing but his wrath. Sin has um, made us unable to see clearly the depth of our sin and the fact that you and I, outside of Christ, are enemies of God. You might say, well, I'm not that bad. Well, I know that is the result of sin. I'm a pretty good person. That's why I justify myself when someone I love criticizes me. I want to put my best foot forward. I want to show that I have integrity, even though I know that I don't have the integrity that I'm trying to convey. If you know what I'm talking about, say, oh, me. Well, there's a few of you that are honest. So the problem is the wrath of God. It says in Romans 1, 18 through 19, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. We're all responsible. We all have ignored God. We all have pushed him aside and lived our lives in our own strength. Because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. Each of us, it says later in Romans 1, are without excuse. This is our main problem. We think we have problems in this life, don't we? They all pale in significance when seen through the window of the scripture, really what the problem is. Our problem is God. This isn't on the screen, but in James 4.4, 4, it says, You adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility towards God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. And each and every one of us have valued the creation over the creator. Each and every one of us have loved this world and our lives more than we have loved God. So the question is, is how is God able to forgive a sinner and still remain true to his character, which is expressed in the law of God? How can God forgive that which appears to be unforgivable and stay just and righteous and holy. In Romans 3, 23, we find that Christ suffered that which we deserved. 
It says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by his grace through the, through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. And this is the point, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. That word propitiation and that short passage, God displaying publicly Christ as a propitiation is probably one of the most important passages in all of the Bible for you and I. Because that word propitiation simply means that God is now satisfied the law has been satisfied because instead of pouring out his wrath upon you and I, as Christ hung on the cross, he poured out his wrath upon his son. He propitiated his wrath. He satisfied his wrath. The law has been fulfilled not only by Jesus Christ's perfect life, but in his death not just the physical suffering that he felt, but through the anguish and pain, not of just being separated from God, but the anger and fury of God's wrath was put upon him. This is why when Jesus was in the garden sweating as drops of blood, he asked God, if this cup can pass from me, but not my will, your will be done. What did he mean this cup can pass? In the Old Testament, it talks about that sinners, those under God's wrath, will, will drink to the dregs the cup of God's wrath. This is exactly what Jesus drank. What he suffered was the very wrath of God that you and I deserved as enemies. Jesus Christ, as our propitiation, has satisfied the very wrath of God, thus he has satisfied the law. Christ has suffered the fierce wrath of God in our place. He has appeased and satisfied God. In Romans 3.26, talking about this propitious act of Jesus, for the demonstration, I say, of his righteousness at the present time, so that he, God, would be just and the justifier of him who has faith in Christ. So the gospel, receiving Christ, just isn't saying, well, I've received Jesus in my heart. That's very superficial and not really the gospel. The real gospel is that Christ Jesus suffered the pain, the shame, and the anguish of the fierce wrath of God. In 2 Corinthians 5, 21, the Apostle Paul writes, He made him, God made Christ, who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. This is glorious. This is stunning. You and I who deserve nothing because of our immoral lives, because we've rejected God, stand accepted and made acceptable in his sight because of Christ.
And then in 1 Peter 3.18, the Apostle Peter writes, For Christ also died for sins once and for all, the just Christ, for the unjust, you and I, that he might bring us to God. Now that's amazing. Not only are we forgiven, not only have we been justified, but he has brought us to himself. And the purpose of that justification is to bring us into a peaceful relationship with God. No longer enemies, just as in World War II, the United States was an enemy to Germany, Italy, and Japan. Now we're at peace with all three nations. In the same way, and even more significantly, we were enemies of God, but now we have peace with God. The second thing that he mentions, the second blessing of being justified by faith is an assurance in our standing in grace. We stand secure in the grace of Christ. I'll read this passage again. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also, notice that word also, this is in addition to peace with God, also we have obtained, we now have our introduction, the ESV says access, our introduction or access by faith into this grace in which we stand. We have obtained something through Christ. It says, through whom also, and who is the whom that he's talking about? It's Christ Jesus. And why the New American Standard Bible, and that's the Bible that I'm quoting from, uh, translates that Greek word that the ESV translates access into introduction, and there's some grammar that I could get into, but I don't want to bore you with that. It could be either introduction or access. But the word introduction shows that when I first meet a, someone that I don't know, I'm introduced to them. Or if, like in England, um, now it would be the king of England, I would be introduced to that person. There is certain... Um, preparation that I need to go in so that I do this appropriately, right? This introduction is used in the Greek as in bringing someone before a monarch. And there's only a proper way to be brought before a monarch, right? Now the monarch we're talking about is God himself. And the only appropriate way to come before him is in complete righteousness. No one can come before him outside of his righteousness. And so the introducer that we have to be introduced to this God is Christ Jesus. 
And just on the side, we've been introduced to this God. We don't know him very fully, do we? How many of you, though, know him somewhat? And because you know him so what, you want to know him more and more. True believers want to know God because that's the whole purpose of this salvation. And then he says that we've entailed this introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. These are words of assurance. We don't struggle to stay there, get there. We're standing in this grace. And it's been obtained through Christ. You don't struggle what Christ, the struggle to stay in what Christ has already purchased for you. A lot of people, like in uh, John 15, talking about abide in me, they go, oh, I need to abide in Christ. Lord, help me to abide in you. It's interesting, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul writes, it is his doing, God's doing, that we are in Christ. We don't try to get in Christ. He has put us in Christ. We stand in this grace who is Christ. We can be assured of that because it's not up to us. It was up to Christ. We could never fit the bill here. If it was... If it was up to me and my wisdom and strength to stand in grace, I would be on my road sliding on the way to hell right now. But it's his doing that I stand by faith. Faith in what? Faith in my ability? No, faith in Christ and what he has done. This is truly good news. So our standing with God is not based on our ability, but in the finished work of Christ. And it is, grace is a, um, it is God's ability to hold on to us. For example, in Romans 4.16, speaking of Abraham, it says, For this reason it is by faith in order that it may be in accordance with grace so that the promise will be guaranteed to all the descendants of Abraham. Because it is of grace, it's been guaranteed. And in Romans 5.21, this shows the... the um, the realm of grace. Paul writes, so that as sin reigned in death, even so grace would reign through righteousness. Grace reigns. We are secure to stand firm in the grace of God. So the main purpose so far that we've seen is that if you believe, you have complete assurance that what he has done, you can rest in. The struggle is over. There's a different kind of struggle. Yeah. 
So that leads us to our, the third blessing, the third result of being justified. And I've titled it Joy in the Glory of God. We rejoice now in anticipation of God's ultimate purpose being accomplished at the consummation of the gospel when we see Christ in all his glory. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we exult in hope of the glory of God. Now this is God's ultimate purpose. There is nothing higher, there is nothing more sacred than what Paul is writing right here. We exult in hope of the glory of God. What is it to exult in something? First, exult, E-X-U-L-T, is not exalt, E-X-A-L-T. To exalt is to elevate by praise or by estimation to glorify. It's something that we do, right? So to exalt Christ is what we did as we sang together or as we live our lives. We behave in a certain way that lifts up and shows something of the glory of God. On the other hand, to exalt in Christ is to be extremely joyful in, is to be jubilant in, it is, is, it is to be triumphant in. It is not something we do. It is a heartfelt response to seeing who Christ is and what he has promised for us in the future. That our hearts exult in him, rejoice in him. Worship, for example, is not always what we do. It is a heartfelt response to who God is. So we don't just worship as we come together in a room like this, but all of our lives are called to be worship to God. So he says we exalt in hope of the glory of God. Now why I've titled this section Joy in the Glory of God is that to exalt in the hope of the glory of God, to exalt in something in this way, we need to have tasted something of it here and now. Why would anyone exalt in something future if he doesn't know something about it here and now? And the question I have is, how much do you exalt, rejoice in what is purchased for you and I through Christ? It's a good question, isn't it? I have to ask myself that question. Why is it that we don't exalt in hope of the glory of God? Why is it when situations happen to us that seem to go adverse our strategies and our hopes that we complain 
instead of exalt in hope of the glory of God. Why is it that when tribulation comes that seems to interfere with our hopes and dreams that seem to be shattered, do we end in discouragement, depression, complaint, resigning to the fact that this life has fallen? I guess I just need to have a stiff upper lip and trudge through this life. How many of you know what I'm talking about? The Apostle Paul is saying something completely different. He's saying because of Christ and being justified by Him, we have the opportunity to exalt in hope of the glory of God. The problem that we have is we have an earthly propensity to put our hope in the things of this world, don't we? We put our hope, for example, in, in uh, our spouses. At last, I'm married. And this person will bring me happiness. And we find out that they're as much a sinner as we are. Hope's dashed. How many have ended their uh, relationships in divorce because hopes have been dashed? Maybe I can find my peace and my enjoyment and joy in someone else. Our hopes have been misplaced, haven't they? First Corinthians 3, 13, 12, the love chapter says near the end in verse 12, for now we see in a mirror dimly I don't see things very clearly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully just as I have been fully known. Right now we are called to live by faith and not by sight. For the things that we can see are temporal. They're always changing. And when we try to put our hope in these things, we are sorely disappointed. In Proverbs it says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. And if you've lived long enough in this world, you have been sick at heart at one time or another. But we look not at the things seen, but the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are temporal, but the things that are not seen are eternal. That's 2 Corinthians chapter 5. In Romans 818, I want to read this long passage. It's not on the screen, but listen closely. For I consider that the suffering of this present time are not worthy to compare with the glory that is to be revealed to us. 
For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. God subjected this world to futility in the fall. In hope that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And not only this, but we ourselves, having the first fruit of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. For in hope we have been saved. For in hope we have been saved. But hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes what he already sees? But if we hope for what we do not see with perseverance, we wait eagerly for it. I'm trying to wrap this up in just a couple minutes here. So here and now, where do we see that glory? We see it, number one, in Christ. In John 1, 1 and 2, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And then in verse 14, it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw His glory. Glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. But here we are. Christ has died buried, raised from the dead. He's not here now. How do we today in this world as believers see his glory? Turning to 2 Corinthians 4, 3 and 4, it says, even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world, Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers. Why? So that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. This passage right here is huge. Where do we see the glory of Christ? It's through the window of this book. As we prayerfully, as we prayed, as I began, as we prayerfully read the Bible for true knowledge of God, God illumines our hearts to see something of his glory in the gospel. And the gospel just isn't Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It includes all of the New Testament, how they unpack the truths of what happened in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Not only that, it starts in Genesis all the way through Revelation. This book is not just to tell you what to do. This book, and written in it, is to expose to you who God truly is. And as the Holy Spirit enlightens our mind, illumines our mind, we begin to see the glory of Christ. And the Bible says in 2 Corinthians um, 3, 18, that this glory that we see as through a mirror, as we see that glory, we are changed from glory to glory. So everything that I've said here this morning is the foundation, is the ground through which we grow in Christ. Without this foundation, you and I will not grow. 
We cannot depend on just letting go and letting God, passively trying to get him to work through us. We are active in this, not active in trying to be saved because it's by grace alone, but it's active in fighting this fight of faith, which is based upon this word and seeing who Christ is, what he has done. Therefore, we want to act in a manner that is consistent with the very nature of Christ because that's who we love. If I love God, I love his holiness. And I will begin to act that way. So, the three things that God has done through justifying us. One, he has given us peace with him. Two, he's given us an assurance because it's in this grace that we stand firm and he enables us to stand. And third, we exalt in hope of the glory of God. And if the band could come forward. And it is all through faith alone in Christ alone. That's the ground. That's the ground we have peace no longer enemies. That's the ground in which we can stand firm, secure in this faith because it's not faith in myself, it's in faith in what Christ has done. You know, it's probably true of you as it is of me. It's a lot easier for me to think of sins forgiven before I came to Christ that now that God has given me light, the sins that I've committed since and even today I don't know if God is sitting there with his arms fold, tapping his foot, shaking his head. How long do I, am I going to put up with you? The same heart of Christ that he laid his life down willingly for you and I is the same heart he has for you here and now. The same justification that was true of you the day that you came to him initially is the same justification that is working here and now for you and I. If you believe in him, you have been forgiven. You have peace with God. You're standing firm in faith and you have a sure, sure certainty of the hope of the glory of God. Let's all bow our heads and let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And again, we do pray that you'd open the eyes of our understanding that we might see you more clearly in and through scriptures such as this. How glorious you have shown yourself in Romans 5, 1 and 2. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name. Let's all stand and let's worship him together. Praise be to God that that's the truth that we stand on, justified by faith alone. That should cause us to worship. Let's sing and let's celebrate. Christ alone, my hope is found, 
He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace, when fears are stilled, when striving cease. My comforter, my all in all, here in the love of Christ I stand. Oh, 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 oh. oh.
Yes, thank you, Lord. Yes. Thank you, Lord Jesus. You may be seated. Quickly, the big three announcements. And all three that you can uh, uh, dial 424-1298. And for the women's breakfast coming up this Saturday, text the word breakfast. Um, Second, we have equipped classes that have started. Some one started today, but it's not too late um, to uh, be a part of these classes. The new members class begins next Sunday, 9.30. Text member, M-E-M-B-E-R. It's three classes for anyone interested in becoming a member or just interested in seeing what we're about at Southview. Also, there are a few equipped classes. I just want to mention quickly a few. There's one, Fatherhood for Men, uh, taught by Chris Calhoun. It started this past Wednesday, but it's not too late. Um, 424-1298 and text EQUIP for that class. Uh, another class started today. Actually, it's just finishing up right now, the first class, but it's not too late. You just missed the introduction. It's Core Christianity 101. It meets at 9.30. Um, another really good class, How to Experience the Life of Christ. I highly recommend that class. Taught by Earl Smith. It'll be at 11 o'clock. <clears throat> excuse me, starting next week. <clears throat> also starting next week is a class that I teach. It's called Journey into the Word of God. And it's really, the subtitle is How to Read the Bible. It's a 10-week, actually it's a nine-week course. Um, and then Created to be a Helpmeet is meeting Sunday at 11. I think you met last week. You start today, actually at 11 o'clock. Um, you can just file right in that class. And the third thing is the youth um, room air conditioner went out and it's hot in there. And so we have to buy a new one. Um, in order to do that though, we need to have a business meeting to approve the purchase of that. And the purchase is a little over $12,000, which is worthy for all of us as members of the church to vote on. And we're going to have that vote in two weeks. I think it's the 25th, right after the second service. And I think we're meeting here, right here. So you, if you're coming to the second service, you can just stay right here, and we're going to have that vote. So let's all pray benediction. Father, we thank you. And we pray that the God of hope will fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that we would abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you all.